You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. School of Humans It's 2006 and Scott Carney is leading a bunch of American college students through India. This was before Carney became a journalist and best-selling author. But even years after, it's an experience he'll never forget. It was really fun to sort of bring these students uh, on this program, which has basically toured all of, you know, many of the important holy cities in North India. So we started off in Delhi. Um, you know, they visited Varanasi, the holy city, where many go to die. Their bodies ceremoniously burned and thrown into the sacred river Ganges. Then Bogaya, where more than two millennia ago, the Buddha reached enlightenment. This is where they stayed for the highlight of their trip, a seven-day silent meditation. I didn't lead the meditations. I, I, we had like a Tibetan Buddhist nun, a Swiss-German Tibetan Buddhist nun uh, at this place called the Root Institute in Bodh Gaya. And, you know, we're meditating on like bliss, on nirvana, on compassion. Uh, and, you know, one of the meditations you do is you meditate on your own death. You meditate on, on the, the impermanence of life and concentrate on the moment of your own death and then use that to give yourself perspective on what it means to be alive. For seven days, we're doing these meditations and we're not talking to, to anyone. And, you know, I have a variety of students. I have people who are way out there on sort of the spiritual weirdo spectrum, and I have some very normal people. And, uh, and there was this one student, Emily, who was probably like the best, brightest, most together student in the whole group. You know, she was the type A personality who got things done and you could always rely on. Emily was a 21-year-old from Charlottesville, Virginia, a devoted meditator and yogi back in the States. She came to India to experience something authentic. And after days of silent, transformative meditation, what she experienced was unexpected. After the meditation retreat, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not talking to her at this time. I don't really know what's going on in her head. Um, and she climbs up to the roof of the retreat center it's at four in the morning or so, and wraps a, a scarf around her, her face and jumps off the building to her death. I don't know how you're feeling, 
But when I first heard this story, I was shocked and confused. How can a spiritual practice like meditation make you do something like that? Some would argue that through meditation, Emily reached some sort of enlightenment, which is one of the many objectives of the $4.5 trillion global wellness industry. But if that's the case, and Emily reached this elusive idea of enlightenment, then what is the cost of enlightenment? Death? This is a question I examined thoroughly in this podcast, through stories of people who presumably died or disappeared on spiritual quests. And what I've learned so far from their stories and the experts I've spoken to is that enlightenment is a tightrope. There is a very thin line between healing and harm. Look, I'm not demonizing the spiritual wellness industry. My investment in my own spiritual growth the past few years has gotten me through some devastating shit. The spiritual practices I ascribe to give me clarity, make me feel grounded, less reactive, more in control of the uncontrollable. They bring me closer to something that feels like an inner knowing, where I trust myself. But I will say that through the research I've been doing and some stories we'll be sharing in this podcast, the idea of attaining enlightenment, something many of these spiritual or wellness practices ascribe to do, has started to feel like pushing your edge. In some instances, I describe it as a masochistic indulgence to create infinite release, which is something extreme sport fanatics can relate to with their bodies. But how do you push your edge spiritually? And what do you sacrifice when you do? If K2 is the most savage mountain, extreme mountaineers are compulsively driven to climb, then India, the mystical Mecca, is that same extreme for spiritual seekers. I know this because I am a seeker, and I'm your host, Caroline Slaughter. If you don't know what a seeker is, here are a couple thoughts from people I've interviewed. Seeking for the next level of spirituality, basically not being born into a human form again, learning all the lessons you have to in this human form so you can move on to the next realm. I think that's what a lot of seekers are looking for, uh, some sort of profound experience outside of themselves. Someone who's looking for answers to, to life, potentially people who are looking for other options out of life. Some of the people that do disappear in India, I'd say that's probably a driver um, with all the stresses and things that come with life, you know, seeking another option. But at that time I was seeking, you know, I didn't want to become a holy man, but I did want to become more enlightened. Even that is a bit of a con job. I think it's been oversold, enlightenment. I think being present with your life is pretty good. It's just about living in the light, meaning the truth of who you are. A lot of people that'll hear this podcast will be seekers. Like, don't go to India because this is a Venus flytrap for your vulnerability. If you're listening to this podcast, I bet one of those explanations resonated, or at least intrigued you. And maybe, like me, you also want to know, what's the cost of enlightenment? I asked Carney this question, which he answered with further insight on Emily, a pseudonym Carney uses to protect his students' privacy. One of the main first questions is, well, why did she do it? And so I, uh, as the director of the program, I read her journal, 
And it sort of is this descent into madness the moment we get into that retreat center. You know, she has this dream where she records about, you know, someone falling off a cliff, which is sort of weird. And then she starts saying that I'm having all these visions while I'm sitting in this meditation. And I know that I'm on the cusp of something great. I know that I'm, I'm becoming something more. Time is changing around me. I am achieving something awesome. And the last words in her journal are, I am a bodhisattva. And all she has to do is leave her body and she will get to that next level. In Mahayana Buddhism, a bodhisattva is a person who's able to reach nirvana, but delays doing so in order to help every other being in this world achieve the same state. The literal translation is essence of enlightenment. According to Carney, Emily wrote in her journal that the meditations had given her a profound understanding of the universe. She could see how her countless past lives had made her a perfect vessel for enlightenment. The only thing preventing her from a transformation into something greater than herself was her body. You know, when you're meditating, the world seems to change, like almost like if you're on, when you're on a drug, you know, you might be sitting there and you might not notice the passage of time. So the sun might appear to arise very quickly. You know, that's happened to me a few times. Or you might, you know, might be having these new types of thoughts that you've never had before. You're like, wow, I'm on the, this is amazing. I have a vision in something new. And you feel like there, there's something really big. And I think what she wanted uh, is to capture that moment. So there's this, this desire to find stasis and death is a type of stasis, right? Death, is, like ending everything is like, well, now I, now I can stop it right here. And I think that's what was going through her mind. After Emily's death, Carney had the responsibility of getting her body back to the States, which wasn't easy with India's 104 degree heat threatening the decomposition of her body and the channels he had to go through to get clearance. This tragedy and its aftermath shook Carney to his core. You witnessed that when he speaks about Emily in a 2015 TED Talk he did. It's personal, and its effects stayed with him, making him further question her motive. So I began to wonder, how many other stories out there are there like Emily's? It turns out that people going to India looking for transcendence are fairly common. Some of them find it, and some of their stories don't turn out well. I collected six journals of people who had taken their own lives on meditation retreats. I came across the names of Ryan Chambers and Jonathan Spolin, both of whom disappeared from the holy city of Rishikesh within a few years of each other. I found a mental hospital in New Delhi that admits 100 Western travelers a year suffering from a condition that they now call India syndrome. Now, Carney just touches on Ryan Chambers and Jonathan Spallen, two stories that we deep dive into in this series, and one that I felt a personal connection to. So at this point, even though they're involuntary poster children of India syndrome, I don't want to lump them under that label until we've further investigated this phenomenon and you've heard their stories told from their families firsthand. But before we get into all of that, I want to introduce you to someone. Hey. How are you holding up? <laughs> this is Ankita, my co-producer in Delhi. 
We've been working together on this podcast through COVID, the U.S. election, which we're in the midst of when I recorded this. How are you? How's everything going there? I'm fine. Uh, all my family members have tested COVID positive. The world has been in turmoil during the eight months we've been working together. And during this short stint of knowing Ankita, both her grandfathers have been sick, mine passed away. We've had family, nieces, dogs, hijack our Zoom calls, add on all the personal life stresses that are magnified during this pandemic, and you've got an instant friendship between two coworkers from vastly different places and backgrounds who share more similarities than those differences. Someone who's not obsessed with rigidities, who's not so worried about having all the answers, but knowing that there is as much unlearning in life as there is learning. That's Ankita's definition of a seeker, which she would consider herself. But she's also a journalist and my North Star on this podcast. We've only met via Zoom. A friend introduced us after I told her I needed to find an experienced and thorough investigative journalist in India. She introduced me to Ankita, and I introduced Ankita to India Syndrome. India Syndrome was coined by the French psychiatrist Regis Adol, working as a psychiatrist affiliated with the French consulate in Bombay for a period of 16 months, from 1985 and 1986, Arul saw a total of 200 patients, of which 50 presented with psychosis. Of those 50, 21 patients had schizophrenia and therefore prior histories. Four had psychosis associated with drug use and 15 patients had what appeared to be borderline personality disorders. It is these 15 patients, 30% of patients presenting with psychosis, who were diagnosed as having voyage pathogen or traveler syndrome, a.k.a. India syndrome. In Arul's psychiatric opinion, India syndrome is a travel-related psychosis that occurs during travel to destinations with high religious, spiritual, cultural, or aesthetic value. And to Westerners, India is an exotic locale charged with spiritual meaning. Here's Carney on this. It's the idea that you go to a new place and you're in a totally different cultural context. And when you do that, that's an isolating feeling. And then you have some sort of experience. Usually it's an internal experience. There's a spiritual insight. And then that sort of insight takes you over and you go mad. And, and in India, it's India syndrome because there's a lot of Westerners who go over there and think that they have achieved something truly spiritual, unique, and great. You don't go on a spiritual journey to India just randomly, right? Usually you go there with a, with a bunch of ideas in your head already, and then you go there trying to find it. Carney's 2015 book, The Enlightenment Trap, features this phenomenon. In the book, he touches on 21-year-old Ryan Chambers' story, an Australian who vanished in Rishikesh, India. According to Carney, Ryan might have been one of the many Westerners who flocked to India seeking spiritual enlightenment, and there's some evidence we'll discuss later that points to that possibility. But we don't know for sure, because no one has seen or heard from Ryan since 2005. We'll discuss Ryan's disappearance and the syndrome that potentially prompted it after the break.
Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. As a seeker with a compulsion for travel and curiosity around all things spiritual, I wanted to get to the bottom of this India syndrome thing. But what I realized is that it's just an entry point for a handful of other related culture-bound syndromes. There's Stendhal syndrome, which is a psychosomatic condition where a person will faint, hallucinate, experience confusion, or a rapid heartbeat while viewing an exceptional object, piece of artwork, or phenomena. This syndrome is unique to Florence, Italy. Thus, its other name, Florence syndrome. Then there's Paris syndrome, which is bizarre and noted primarily in Japanese tourists who are disappointed by their experience in Paris. When their expectations of Paris's beauty are not met, it leads to the same physical symptoms as Stendhal syndrome, fainting, hallucinations, confusion, but also includes acute feelings of persecution. But the one that's the most similar to India syndrome is Jerusalem syndrome, which I'll let journalist Jessica Ravitz, who's covered religion and spirituality in her work, and wrote an article for CNN about India syndrome, tell you about that. I'd written before about something called the Jerusalem syndrome, which is a syndrome where people get to this holy city and just become so overwhelmed by the power of it or by the expectations of what they thought it would be that they kind of have a break and they believe they're the Messiah or any number of biblical figures. So I heard about the India syndrome and and was just fascinated by the idea of it. And and what I know of it is that it's, you know, like the Jerusalem syndrome, it's this unusual condition that can afflict Westerners um, who travel to India 
and become perhaps delusional or in extreme cases disappear during these quests for enlightenment. And this brings us back to India syndrome. I went down a rabbit hole researching India syndrome for this podcast, and I was admittedly drawn in by books and articles with the cryptic phenomena at their core, including Carney's book, The Enlightenment Trap, which got my attention with passages about India, like... Some are drawn to India by accounts of the superpowers of dedicated practitioners, yogis who can levitate, breathe for months while entombed underground, or melting giant swaths of snow with their body heat, believing that they too will be able to accomplish extraordinary things. This quest to become superhuman, along with the culture shock, emotional isolation, illicit drugs, and the physical toll of hardcore meditation, can cause Western seekers to lose their bearings. Seemingly sane people get out of bed one day claiming that they've discovered the lost continent of Lemuria, or that the end of the world is nigh, or that they've awakened their third eye. Most recover, but some become permanently delusional. A few vanish or even turn up dead. This section of Carney's book is salacious and tantalizing. It makes spiritual curiosities and travel in India seem dangerous. And after what Carney went through with his student Emily and the deep dive he did for his book, The Enlightenment Trap, it's a valid point of view because he's witnessed this phenomenon in real time. But to further examine this theory in our podcast, I want to take a look at the disappearance of Ryan Chambers whose disappearance has been associated with India syndrome? Um, Ryan was very creative and very artistic, and I picked that up at a very young age, around the age of five. So we were in a family of four logic-based people and one creative. That's Diane Chambers telling me about her son, Ryan. I used to say that he had the ability to sit and watch paint dry. He used to sit in his own mind a lot um, and always appeared not very motivated. But as the years went on and he got older, I began to realise that Ryan was motivated by things that he was really interested in, So, which is the case for everybody. But the fact was... I think it took him a long time to really find out what really motivated and inspired him. Jock, Ryan's dad, explains what happened to their son on Wednesday, August 24th, 2005. John and he had been in India for two months and they went up north to Varanasi, spent a bit of time there, then went to Rishikesh. And from our understanding, they were only there for three days. And... One morning, he just uh, left the ashram. He took off, left everything behind, his wallet, his new sitar that he'd bought in Varanasi, all his clothes, his wallet, and he just disappeared, never to be seen again. Jacques and Diane made the biggest impression on me. They have so much love for their son, and their resilience in the face of his disappearance is moving. Even though they've lived through a hellish roller coaster ride of multiple investigations, false leads, and scams around Ryan's disappearance, they're still hopeful and they're open to telling his story. He never actually said what it was that he wanted to go to India for. He'd never travelled overseas before. He got in touch with John. 
and said, do you want to go to India with me? In the summer of 2005, Ryan backpacked through India for two months with his friend John, a childhood friend. But when they hit Rishikesh, something was off. It was in the evening here, and nine o'clock in the evening comes to mind, which is probably about right, because I think there's about a four or four and a half hour time difference. And there was something not quite right then. And I, you know, questioned him about it. And he said to me, he said, I don't know who to trust anymore. He said, I want to come home now. He said, I want to come home and I want to come home now. And so he just, I think he was in a country that had shaken him with the reality of what was going on and how people lived and how poor people were and all of that. And I think his mind started to get a bit out of control. And I think he knew it. Ryan's reaction to India makes total sense. One person I interviewed described India as an assault to the senses. It doesn't ease travelers in. Carney has additional thoughts on the culture shock people experience in India. It's a very chaotic environment. The streets are, are madness. The, the laws all seem different. The, the way people interact with each other is just very, can be very, very overwhelming. So you go through culture shock when you're there. And, when you, and so you're already destabilized. Let's say you find an ashram and all of a sudden it's this like little oasis of peace. You, you go from sort of like very fight or flight to very, very rest and digest and sort of like calm. Ryan was at the Ved Nikitan Ashram when he called his mom the night before he disappeared. Here's Diane discussing the rest of her phone call with Ryan. We talked about, you know, him having a chat with John and he'd had the discussion with John and he was actually, you know, going to plan to sort of head home. And so then I had a bit of a sleepless night that night. Not really, there was something unsettling going on then. And so then when John rang and he just said, look, he said, Ryan's gone missing. He said, we've gone everywhere today. They'd hired motorbikes and some other people that he'd met and they'd gone to a lot of the places where they'd they'd been together and whatever. And it got, I think, to about 4 or 4.30 in the afternoon there and John started to really worry then. And he said, look, he said, we've been looking for him. He said, we can't find him anywhere. He said, should I go to the police? And I just said straight away, absolutely. I said, I knew, I just knew that something was drastically wrong. Hours after Ryan spoke to his mom, as soon as the ashram gates were opened, he fled without his wallet, phone, a shirt. He wasn't even wearing shoes. He didn't tell John. He didn't alert anyone at the ashram. He just left. But it's not Ryan's disappearance that made him the first poster child of India syndrome. It's what he left behind. <laughs> Diane is paging through Ryan's diary of intricate pen drawings and notes. Yeah, there's some amazing stuff in here. Pop that one. And that one is my brain map without chrono, whatever that means. Below this drawing are rivets, squiggles, and circles making up what looks like a brain. Inside the brain are lines like flow or follow, not far enough, and will you make it? But this... Ryan's absolute last entry in his diary says... Is what labelled Ryan a victim of India syndrome. If I'm gone, don't worry. I'm not dead. I'm just freeing minds 
And to do that, I had to free my own. That entry defined Ryan as a spiritual seeker. And you can see why. It's a pretty cryptic, existential message to leave behind. But it leads me to ask, why did the entry automatically label Ryan a seeker on some sort of spiritual quest? I mean, if Ryan had been traveling through Italy at the time of his disappearance and this journal entry was found, would his words have the same impact? In other words, is the mystique of India and the mysterious phenomenon, India Syndrome, that's pinned to it, overshadowing the truth of what happened to Ryan. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Here's the thing. India syndrome is a theory. It's just that, a theory. Even Carney said it was not an officially recognized disease, though he does believe, along with many others I interviewed for the podcast, that it's a real phenomenon, and a dangerous one. He also believes it affected Ryan Chambers, and like other media outlets, pinned Ryan a spiritual seeker. Obviously, Ryan's last diary entry about freeing minds but first having to free his own was cryptic. But unfortunately, because his message was found in Rishikesh, a spiritual hotspot in India, it allowed authorities to write him off as someone who chose to vanish, and it gave the media free reign to identify him as a victim of India syndrome, which gave Ryan's tragic disappearance a closure his family still doesn't have. 
But all of this points to a bigger issue surrounding India syndrome, which is Westerners creating a narrative around the unknown, in this case, India. But as someone born and raised in India, I want to get Ankita's thoughts on India syndrome. I had not heard about India syndrome before you mentioned it, before I started working on the podcast. I believe human beings love to label in order to understand, no matter how limiting that label might be. Were you offended by by it at all? I am a little annoyed by it, by the term India syndrome, because uh, I have traveled to a few countries in the West and my experience has been mixed. But I am aware enough to know that I cannot generalize a whole place, an entire country on the basis of spending a short duration of time there. And it depends on a lot of lot of factors, what my experience there would be. So to sort of take this big simplistic term and believe that that is a general definition of a place, I feel is kind of reckless and irresponsible. The Chambers also think India syndrome is off point. I asked Aaron, Ryan's older brother, if he thought Ryan was a seeker, as the media claimed, called to India for some sort of spiritual quest. No, that's, no, not at all. I, I don't think he was ever seeking enlightenment. I, it wasn't spiritual in, in that kind of sense. So I don't think he was actually seeking for anything. I don't think he went to India to try and find answers to anything. I don't think he went to India. I think he went there just to check it out. His parents agree. Personally, I don't believe in India syndrome. It's just something that journalists has pulled, pulled out of the woodwork because people do go missing, but people go missing in other places. I think a lot of people like to go to India because it's, of its mystique. It's, uh, but whether something takes over when they're there, I really don't know. But India syndrome is just a name given by someone. And I just, I don't think it's an illness as such or... I don't think everyone's looking for enlightenment. The Chambers don't believe their son was a seeker, and they definitely don't believe in India syndrome. Even though Ryan has been consistently linked to the phenomena, they don't think it had anything to do with his disappearance. Aaron recounts Ryan's last conversation with Diane. His timeline is a little off from Diane's, but the sentiment is the same. He called mum a few days before he went missing, saying... I've seen all I want to see. I want to come home. He was, he was scared of something. You know, that, that was unlike him. And I met an Australian guy when I was there the first time who was with Ryan the night before he left and said he was running around the ashram grounds trying to fly, which is kind of weird, unlike him. And apparently he, he couldn't sleep properly and he went into someone else's room in the ashram, not John's but another person's, and asked if he could stay there the night because he was just afraid of something. The guy said, no, go back to your own room. And then you look at his journal, his writing style was great, really comical, like he'd, he'd describe things that were happening in such a vivid way. As Aaron points out pretty consistently, this erratic behavior wasn't like Ryan. Even his final diary entry was strikingly different from the rest of his entries, which says something about Ryan's state of mind when he wrote it. But then in the last couple of pages, this big scrawl across the last two pages in colored markers, just saying something along the lines of, if I'm missing, I'm not dead. I need to free minds, but first I need to free my own. And it looked like an alternate personality had written it or someone else altogether. But one fact remains a mystery. 
where is Ryan's body? After almost 16 years, Ryan's body has still not been found, which is rare in Rishikesh, where drowned bodies wash up from the Ganges River daily, and where the wooded areas of the Himalayas, though vast and dense, are as one interviewee said, teeming with eyes you'll never see. So could Ryan still be out there? If we got a call today from Ryan, that would be a whole other journey we're on because he's going to be in, he's not going to be the same person that left. So like, what does that journey even look like? And to be honest, maybe, maybe it's better off you don't get that call. Who is that person going to be? You know, it's not going to be the person I knew 15 years ago. Ryan's is the first story we'll be sharing on this podcast. But throughout the series, we'll be investigating three disappearances and one death in India, with each case unpacking a different aspect of our central question. What is the cost of enlightenment? Are these deaths and disappearances the result of a spiritual quest? Or is there something darker lurking beneath the mystical allure of India? He woke up in a train station in India, had no idea who he was, where he was, when he was. His mind had been basically wiped. And she was taking all the details and she said, oh, like, where did he go missing? And I said, in India. She said, oh, India of all places, not India. India as such has been known as the land of mystics and uh, mysteries in the West. So when you put something like India syndrome, obviously you are catching eyeballs. And I guess you think about it, there's a bit of a mystique about someone going missing, right? Like, uh, what have they gone seeking and what are they, you know, are they, have they reached this enlightenment? Have they, are they now one of these kind of mystical people in India? If you have any information or tips on Ryan Chambers' disappearance, please reach out to Jock Chambers at jock, J-O-C-K dot Chambers C-H-A-M-B-E-R-S at gmail.com. Astray is a production of School of Humans and iHeartRadio. Today's episode of Astray, India Syndrome, was produced, written, and narrated by me, Caroline Slaughter. Ankita Anand is my co-producer. And Gabby Watts is our supervising producer. Special thanks to Tiffany Morgan. Astray was scored by Jason Shannon, with sound design and mix by Toon Welders. Executive producers are Brandon Barr, Elsie Crowley, and Brian Lavin. Thanks for listening. humans. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.